Welcome to another award-winning episode of the world's greatest podcast, according to us. This is And Another Thing. My name is Jody Jenkins. And I'm Tony Clement. And we have another amazing guest lined up. He's a great American. We're going to let you introduce him in a second. I love when we have Americans on the show. And well, it's good. You know, we had uh, uh, David Wilkins, the former uh, U.S. ambassador to Canada, uh, we've gone international before. We had Daniel Hannan on, of course, the British uh, politician, and uh, Joe Hockey, who can forget him, the Australian. Leo Rush is American. Leo Rush is American. So, yeah, we're international, baby. Do you think we could get Trump on here? I, th- I think if we asked oh, the right way. If we got Trump, that would be unreal. <laughs> That's right. I, I'm going to try and work on that. Okay. I know it sounds like a long shot. Maybe our guest can help us. But uh, you never know. You unless never know. He, of course... If he's still there when we go to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we don't want to scare him off. Anyway, uh, Tony, uh, I'm going to hand it over to you. I'm now, I've got like stars in my eyes. I'm thinking, man, can we maybe get Trump on here? <laughs> it's possible. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Well, welcome to 2020. Anything is possible. Yeah. Uh, listen, it's, uh, it's uh, a great pleasure on And Another Thing podcast to welcome our guest, Mr. Jason Emmert. Uh, Jason is an attorney. He is a global advisor. He is a teacher of international law at Lincoln Memorial University. Uh, In 2018, he ran for the U.S. House of Representatives in Tennessee's 2nd Congressional District. Uh, Unfortunately, he was unsuccessful. He lost in the primary. Uh, But, uh, of course, uh, he is uh, someone who knows U.S. politics. Jason and I got to know one another because we were both involved in the International Democrat Union for a few years, which is uh, an umbrella organization of of right-of-center political parties. So please welcome to And Another Thing podcast, Mr. Jason Emmert. Welcome to the program, sir. Thank you, guys. Tony and Jody, I'm really really happy to be with you. And... uh... I hope I can shed some light on what is the madness of 2020 American politics. Well, you may not know this, but it is a it's a moonlighting business of Canadians to try to understand U.S. politics. (laughs) It it just envelops us. Uh, Sometimes uh, it's the only thing that we talk about at our garden parties. It consumes us. It consumes us. That's right. So uh, this is uh, something that people feel very strongly about one way or the other. The other thing I should mention just to give Jason his due is uh, this is being recorded, uh, you know, on, uh, say, let's say, July 9th. And so uh, some things may have changed by the time our listeners are listening to this. But uh, there's always a lot to talk about with U.S. politics. So, Jason Emmert, can you give us the state of the presidential race, both (laughs) in Tennessee and nationally? What's going on out there? Absolutely. But first, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I had a special guest. I have my three-month-old son joining me today. Oh. We will be napping through this. So okay. uh, amid all the coronavirus madness, so my wife and I had our first our first child and our son James, and so he will be with me today on the podcast, so that's exciting. Our first uh, dual encounter here, but um, luckily he won't remember this presidential election because <laughs> the state of it is, is, is wild, I think, by any measure. Um, you know, both parties have kind of uh, lost, uh, I think, a lot of trust throughout the country, but, but this presidential election is, is not going to be appealing to, to people's better angels. I think it's going to get really nasty. I think you're starting to see that now. Um, I think that's President Trump's M.O. Uh, between him and, and Vice President 
Pence especially, you usually think of the vice president as the bulldog and the president as the diplomat. Well, I think those roles will be reversed, and you're starting to see that um, divergence now. Obviously, things don't look great for President Trump. Uh, if the election was held today, he would probably lose, and I think that there's every indicator um, that he has a very uphill, uh, a big uphill battle to climb. Um, and, and on top of that, this isn't just like it was in 2016. I think the polls are showing something different and a lot more voter intensity um, against him than, than there was in, in 2016. So that's interesting. Fans, the presidential race is not looking good. Yeah, because I, I've talked to, you know, one of the things that I've talked about when people have asked my point of view is, look, you can't just look at the national polls. The national polls might have uh, uh, Biden up by 10 points, but that means he's up by 50 points in California and up by 30 <laughs> points in New York State, uh, whereas the rest of the country is a lot closer. But looking at the state-by-state -state polls, uh, the states that Trump has to win or retain from the 2016 election, he's still behind in those states as well. So you look at Pennsylvania, you look at Michigan, you look at Wisconsin, you look at even Florida. At best, Florida is a toss-up for President Trump. So that's your analysis as well? So, yeah, that, that's my analysis. And, and I just would like to take it back because everybody likes to pick on polls. Uh, I've done this a long time, and polls, yes, they do get – often maligned, but they were pretty accurate in, in 2016 if you look at them on a state-by-state -state basis, and it was a razor-thin it was a razor thin election, and when you extrapolate the data and you realize everything was in the margin of error, there's really no poll was wrong, uh, you know, uh, if, if Michigan had Hillary Clinton winning 46-45 and she loses 47-46, and like, that wasn't really an incorrect poll, so right. um, there's a lot we can look at 2016. Uh, that people can say the polls are wrong, and so 2020, these polls are wrong. That's why President Trump's going to win again. But that data is just not there because it's so far outside the margin of error that you really can't make the same case that, that his numbers are as strong as they were just four years ago. So let me, let me ask it this way. I'm going to ask it a slightly different way then. Uh, each candidate has to have a strategy and a plan to win. So what does Trump need to do to get reelected? And what does Biden have to do to get elected? What are their respective paths to victory? I think first for President Trump is he needs to offer an agenda for, for 2020 and beyond. Like, you, you, he doesn't have much to campaign on from the last four years. I think there, there has been success, obviously, through um, the, the judges that have been pushed through the Senate. I think there's been some civil service reform. There's been some deregulation that's all that's all great and that's great to campaign on but there's no signature campaign or signature campaign uh success that he is that he has that he can really campaign on so he needs to offer something a little different than uh i've done more in the last three and a half years of any american president in history uh, which obviously flies in the face of of of, of reality uh, he has to do more than say that he's done more for for black Americans and Abraham Lincoln, uh, you know, this is a messaging that's just not going to work. And so he needs to offer a big, bold plan for America. And whether that's through criminal justice reform, uh, you know, uh, the tax cuts that just didn't land like people wanted them to in the 2018 election. So they're going to only, they're not going to land as well in the reelection for 2020. Uh, so first and foremost, he needs to come up with something that is going to be a signature Trump agenda that he has to commit to and has to see from now all the way through election day. 
Jason, I, I don't really oh, see sorry, him doing that. Um, sorry, I, I, I don't see him doing that. I, I see him campaign to get on law and order, and uh, I think Democrats will play into that. So on the flip side is, is Joe Biden just needs to be a normal, <laughs> traditional, you know, center Democratic Party candidate um, in the vein of, of, of someone like Bill Clinton and just kind of hold the line in order to convince, you know, the, the Americans that are in the middle that he's a safer choice than the four years of chaos that we've experienced. And do you think he can pull that off? No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, he can only hide in his basement for so long. Jason, I'm curious yeah. I'm curious to know your thoughts on, because um, this was something we heard in Canada, and I, I probably was something that was prevalent in the States as well, but I want to know if it was a myth, if it was true, and if it's, uh, you know still holds water today, is there was a feeling that a lot of people in 2016 – were not very forthright about supporting Trump for fear of backlash um, online, wherever. And I'm wondering, is that still the case? And if so, is it more even today that there are still, uh, you know, a big amount of supporters of his, but they're not very, some of them are still, you know, nervous about sharing that? I, I heard that too. Um, I think it's, I don't know where the data shows that, so I can't really comment if it was true or not. Obviously, there's anecdotal evidence there that there are the, the silent Trump supporters, or uh, what do they call them in the UK? The shy Tories? Is that the, the term? Yes, that's that they right. Used, yeah, that's right. Um, in, in their elections, um, Trump is who he is. His base is what they are, um, and it's just going to—it's just going to be really people making a deal with themselves. Is, is what brand of chaos do they want? Do they want the Trump brand of chaos, or do they want the Biden Democrat brand of chaos? And, and what are they willing to live with, and, and what are they willing to give up because of it for the next four years? Well, I'm going on record right now. I still, and I have a lot of wagers on this, not because I'm a huge Trump fan by any stretch, uh, but just because I believe he's going to win again. But I believe he will be the next president again. So, wow. I, yeah. Okay. And I have several wagers with people, and I'm open to taking more. So I'm just putting... My goodness, there. he's yeah. going to put his money where his yeah. mouth is. Right. There you go. I made a lot of money in 2016. You probably did. I did. Yeah, yeah, I that's did. right. Yeah. Well, I, I want to know, though, um, because this, I think, also plays into it. We hear a lot uh, within America, outside America, that America is divided. Uh, do, do you, as an American, do you... Is that how you feel are you optimistic about your country or pessimistic about it how does that play into how you see things these days i'm always optimistic about our country but i do think right now that that we're in a, an incredibly uh, dis uh, disunited time and and that breaks my heart to see it um uh, it, it's i mean it, it, we're now divided over whether or not we should wear masks as a public health safety issue like you know everything is political now right uh, it's permeated all walks of life from from what church denomination you're in to what sports you follow and, and just everything about it has just become political and um, it, it's just it's heartbreaking to see um, I always subscribe to the fact that our better days are ahead of us but right now I, I believe we're in some growing pains and, and I'm looking forward to getting on the other side of it you mentioned something that's interesting and I just want to quickly jump in here and I'll throw back to Tony but you talked about things being political ie face masks and I like I, I often wonder how we ever got to this point because it it's applicable in Canada. Maybe I'm a little exaggerating a bit, but 
for example, if someone were to say in Canada right now that I don't believe in wearing face masks in public spaces, for example, instantly the majority of people, whether it's online or even in person, would say, well, you're a Trump supporter. Like that's like right. the first thing that comes out of their mouth. And I'm curious how we ever got to this point. Like, cause I, I don't know where things went sideways. Cause I don't, I don't think it, it's too easy to just say, well, you, it's, it, it is Donald Trump's fault, but I don't, I don't subscribe to that, but I just like something somewhere people, and maybe he empowered people. I don't know to, on either side, but I don't know. It's bizarre. You know, I, this is my opinion. I, I believe in wearing masks. I don't understand that the people who go out and, and well, then you're a Biden supporter. <laughs> I, yeah, clearly. I'm toeing the Biden line, and, and I'm, I'm against taking away civil liberties. Uh, you know, even though, even in our federal system, it's, it's the local governments who are making the, the, the call, and that's fully within their constitutional right. And there's just, a, there's so much constitutional um, um, uh, literature out there that, that supports that. Um, even written by Scalia, and, and so it's just, I don't know how we've got the mask bizarro world case going on, but somehow that's become an infringement on civil liberties if someone tells you to wear a mask. Um, but I can almost, I can I can draw a direct line from how the media treated Mitt Romney and, and called him uh, the worst person ever to run for office, and how Joe Biden literally said that he was going to put black people back in chains to the election of Donald Trump and to the over-politicalization of our society. And if you can demonize uh, someone like Mitt Romney, who I fully believe should be ending his, his second successful term as president, um, then people aren't going to take you seriously in the media, and everything becomes political, and everything becomes questioned, and everything becomes this fight between what people see as the truth or not the truth, or what they believe online or what they believe in, in, in normal media, and it has just completely, completely devolved our, our, our political discourse. And, you, and, you know, you could say it started with George W. Bush, with people calling him a Nazi and Hitler. You know, every Republican president has been compared to, to Hitler. Every Republican president is a racist. And then at some point, people just decided to elect the biggest jerk on stage because the media was telling them that every nominee they had was the biggest jerk on stage. And so uh, that's kind of where I see it. It's been a slow yeah. boil over time, but it does culminate with Trump, and it's certainly not his fault. And I don't think he's the cause of it by any means, but I, I know that he is uh, certainly, hopefully, the, the end of it uh, in what we have now created, this monster. And I don't think you have to be a rocket scientist to read into what you're actually saying, Jason, that this is Jake Tapper's fault. So it's... Uh... <laughs> I hold him accountable. <laughs> That's right. We finally know where the buck stops. Hey, uh, Jason, um, I, I just want to go back to... You know some some of the divisions that we see in American society. Obviously, f uh, there are some foreign actors that are trying to take advantage of this. Russia, China, Iran, to a lesser extent, perhaps. Is this something that Americans are tuned into uh, when they see some of the social media posts and so on now uh, versus the 2016 election, where it sort of it, it took everybody by surprise, perhaps? Yeah, I think people are now aware of it. Uh, going back to Mitt Romney, he did he did say Russia was our yeah. was our biggest geopolitical foe, and, and the media laughed at him and called him names and said how stupid he was living in the. And Obama said that Cold World, you know, the '80s called they want their Cold World policy back. And those same people today are saying how Russia is is the worst enemy that we have on Earth, and you know down the line we go. But I, I do think people are, are 
you know, it's interesting. I won't say everybody, but I do think people are more aware of Russian dis- disinformation, but I don't think people understand the, the sophistication of it, and they don't realize that when they're on social media, uh, that it's not just going to be something that looks obviously fake as dis- disinformation, that it is a very slow, methodical, intelligent way of poisoning the political discourse, and it is eroded over time, and now you start seeing it in, in almost the mainstream of what this QAnon movement is. And, right. and so it's manifested itself into something that's almost mainstream, which is terrifying. Now, uh, in, in terms of your evolution, because I, I, I didn't say at the top, uh, that you ran as a Republican in the second congressional district, but I should have said that. Uh, but I, I noticed online that, that you took a strong stand. I'm not saying that there's a there's a connection with this, but uh, and forgive me if I'm trampling over something. But you took a strong stand against Confederate statues, which uh, I found yeah. very very interesting because uh, I've been on on this program. I've uh, I. I I know the history behind it, and I, I know the Jim Crow period of, of U.S. history. But to me, as a person who tries to think logically, the fact that those statues ever existed, uh, you know, representing uh, a, an opinion that lost in a civil war that killed 750,000 Americans, it just defies belief and imagination that they, they were still standing. But you took, tell us a little bit about that stand and the reaction to that stand. I think our listeners would appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, uh, the particular stand is, is about a Confederate uh, bus that's in Tennessee State Capitol to a Confederate general who also founded the, the Ku Klux Klan and, and terrorized both white and black uh, Americans throughout the South during Reconstruction, and this it was a bus that was placed there quite antagonistically in, in the late 1970s by uh, what was the, the, the Democrats at the time, and, and the, what known as the Dixiecrats. Um, it, it, it served two purposes. One, it was kind of a an in-your-face to black Tennesseans, and two, it's kind of a in-your-face to, to, to white East Tennesseans who families like mine fought for the Union. So, um, uh, people like to talk about the Confederacy as their heritage. My heritage is fighting the Confederacy. And so I take great pride in that. I take great pride in the fact that my ancestors were, were very early on abolitionists. Uh, in, in the town where I come from, had had some of the earliest abolition newspapers. Uh, they had early abolitionist ministers. And so this is something that I, I, I take on as, as who I am uh, and what, my, what my, my, my heritage is. And so... I felt it was, was my moral duty and, and a long line of people in my family who has also carried this fight. Um, even as my, my grandfather was one of the first uh, doctors, and he was a dentist, but he was the first really medical professional to see any black patients in, in our community. Um, and he was uh, um, fought back against by local Klan leaders, and, and uh, people thought that he would try to run him out of town, and they didn't. Um, other family members, they've had they've had crosses burned in their yard for taking the stand. So what I did was easy. I, I wow. did the, I did the, I wrote an op-ed and and just said that there's no there was nothing that we should do in honoring the Confederacy. There's nothing we should do in honoring uh, a specific Confederate general of the Confederacy who especially founded the, the Ku Klux Klan. Um, and, and knowing the history that it was there, that it was put there antagonistically in and of itself, and there's actually this awful picture in the, the, the Tennessean where it shows members of the Ku Klux Klan in the late 1970s, mind you, 
in garb in front of this statue inside of our Capitol. And, Unbelievable. Uh, yeah. It, it was something that, that they voted on today, actually, to remove it from the Capitol. Oh. Um, and so that's, that's kind of good news because uh, they still took a cowardly approach to it, and they also voted out the Union Admiral um, <laughs> oh. along with him. So uh, they, amended the, they amended it to remove uh, both him and, and the Confederate general, despite that the, the, the admiral in the Navy, a man named David Farragut, uh, he, he fought from the War of 1812 all the way through the... the oh, Farragut is a very, War. very famous uh, American admiral, so, and... Uh, you would know Farragut, yeah, everybody knows Farragut. Everybody so knows they, Farragut, yeah. He's a Tennessean, um, he's famous for damn the torpedoes and full, uh, full speed ahead. I actually have a, a, a lithograph of, of Farragut hanging right outside my bedroom, it's some of the art that we have in, in our house, uh, and they decided to remove him along with, with Forrest. Um, and I think it was a cowardly way out, and, and I'm fairly uh, disgusted about that and how they decided to go about it and equating the two men because there couldn't be a starker difference between Nathan Bedford Forrest, the, the Ku Klux Klan founder, and uh, David Glasgow Farragut, the, the ad, first admiral in American history and um, a, a true American hero through many, many, many wars. So I, I do have to ask, I mean, do you see uh, race and racial divides as baked into to American political culture? Is there no way out of that? Uh, and secondly, uh, does identity politics mean that Republicans can never get black or Hispanic votes? Uh, I'll answer the first one. I, I don't think identity politics means that it, it, it's forever baked in, that, that Republicans have now lost African-American votes or Republicans have now lost Hispanic votes. There's and what we say that we believe in, there's a lot of crossover and there's a lot of value sharing. And that's what we should, that's what we should focus on. Uh, Republicans also don't compete in those areas. Uh, we're either too afraid to go compete in inner cities or urban environments, and so we allow Democrats to have the only game in town. That's our fault. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, that's even beyond identity, identity politics. Um, as for race permeates everything, you know, political culture and beyond. Um, you know, we're never going to be able to, to come fully to terms with the fact that there is systemic racism in the U.S. And that doesn't mean um, that everybody's racist. It's just the system is what it is. And, and we need to acknowledge that. And we need to take great strides in, in fixing um, criminal justice reform and, 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 you know, lending between how people get homes and zoning regulations mm -hmm. in cities. Like there is so much stuff that's baked in that creates a, a, the systemic racism that people talk about. And it's not just about so-and-so uh, is racist. It's so much bigger than that. And, and it keeps a whole class of people behind. And, and until we recognize that and until we're honest with each other uh, in both parties uh, about what we've done to disenfranchise African-Americans, Latino-Americans, minorities across the spectrum, then, then we're going to be going back to the same conversation over and over again. One final question. Kanye, threat or menace? <laughs> <laughs> um, I just think, he, look, he's just trying to fill some out. I, think, I, just, so. I, I think capitalism is a beautiful thing, and if you can, if you can get out there and promote yourself in, in a way that helps you out and helps you make money, um, all while you're getting stimulus, all while you're getting stimulus from the, from the PPE loans, the federal government, uh, despite the fact that you have a, you're a billionaire, um, I say more power to him, and, and 
I'm happy that he's back in the news, and I'm happy that he's still on record. There do, you think, do you think he'll be on the ballot or no? No, I mean, there's, there's so many other – I mean, he's already missed the ballot in so many states at this point. Like, um, it's, it's all showmanship. He would guarantee a Trump victory, though, if he was in. <laughs> he would guarantee a, a Trump victory. I think – and, and I mean, any third party would. I mean, that's – and then that's – you know, I guess that's, the, the, that's why, um, if you remember, Justin Amash had kind of flirted with running for president. Uh, the libertarian candidate, right. and, and ultimately his decision was the fact that if he ran, he was almost guaranteeing Trump would win. Trump has a baked-in 36, 38% of the vote, and they're not going anywhere, and that's all you need to win. Yeah. So if there's any lesson from the 92 election, um, is that when a third-party candidate, candidate ends, it doesn't go the way you think it is, except, I guess, Ross Perot, his main goal was not let George H.W. Bush win. And he got so it. The mission succeeded yeah. there, and he got it, um, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, I think Justin Amash saw that for what it was and, and ultimately backed out. But Plus. there's going to be a third party. I think, there's, I, I think our nation is starved for different parties. Like, we've got, to, we've got to blow up the system that we have. Like, it's not working, and there's so many people left out. And, and um, the, the voices that we're, that we're hearing just don't represent a lot of people and, and you know I'm, I'm you know, after traveling the world meeting with all these people and doing some really incredible things um, you know with tony a, a lot of the times it's it just uh, you see how parliaments work around the world and you see how these different people have to form coalitions and um, i know there's good and bad with everything but right now the, the two-party system has certainly uh, been gamified and everything's become a sports analogy and, and i think if we break it up and it, smaller parties that would do a lot of good for a lot of people and, and start making our, our political culture much healthier. Jason, thanks so much for doing this. We appreciate it. You are now our resident expert from Knoxville. We might call on you again. <laughs> Absolutely. When you need any college football um, <laughs> um, commentary, please call me in. I'd love to do it. And I'll, I'll send you some orange, too, along the way. Ah. And correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I mean, obviously, because I don't know all my states that well, but I'm a huge wrestling fan. Former wrestler Kane, who's Glenn Jacobs, is he, isn't he elected somewhere in Tennessee or Knoxville? Am I wrong on that? He is. He is the county mayor of Knox County, which is the, the county neighboring where I'm from in Blount County. Wow. Uh, Glenn's a great dude. He's, he's awesome. And um, he's got a heck of a future in front of him. So keep paying attention to him. Do you think you could help us get him on the show? <laughs> yeah, actually, I could if you want. Yeah, if you want okay. Mayor Jacobs, he would love it. So. Okay, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch. We'll be in that, touch. Thanks so much yeah, for doing this. I'd love to help that up for sure. All right, thank you, Jason. Thanks, Jason. Yep, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Talk bye bye. To you soon. All right, so there we go. Yeah, potentially Trump, potentially Glenn Jacobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jason, yeah, he was good too. Yeah, he was good too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we've got our we got another hey, guest if, coming on. Hey, if we can get bookings done. While we're doing a show. While we're doing the show. It's a win-win for everybody. Multitasking at its best. I'll tell you one thing I'm noticing from this heat wave we're going through, because uh, it's been on for weeks, being back in the studio, it's hot It's here. hot. I got to go get a cold drink. Okay. Um, like a Coke or a Diet. Do you want something? Yeah, sure. I'll have okay. something. Okay, okay, good. I'll get that for you. And, Thank uh, you. We will talk in seven days. I'll see you then.